Welcome to Lit From The Basement. Vanity Press. This is Max. This is Danielle. On this installment, we're going to talk about Danielle's book, Lovely Asunder. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> Thank you for being in my life. <laughs> this is the least organic interview ever. <laughs> uh, one doesn't usually get uh, interviewed by their husband. On their, their own, on their own show. On their own, yeah. on their own book. <laughs> Well, the show is Vanity Press. Right. Okay, so the first time you read from this book when it had actually been published uh-huh. uh, was at the AWP conference. Um, I did not attend that reading. No, you did not, even though I invited you. Did you? Uh-huh. Okay. You and You and Paul were both invited, and neither of you showed up. <laughs> it was the first reading I ever gave for my first published book. Um, we should probably prep this by saying that um, Max and I were not dating then. No, we started dating two days after that. Yeah. But after he stood me up. Um. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm greatly exaggerating there. I, I was sort of like, come if you want. I don't really care. And then I, I did. It. Hey, it was a full house. Yeah. It yeah. was it was a good reading, I have to say. But we met up with you <laughs> at, yes. in the lobby of the hotel where they had that monolith and you had a whole bunch of uh, little stage door Johnnies and Jonies <laughs> following you around carrying your books. I'm like, I didn't want to have to compete with everybody. <laughs> Well, you didn't. <laughs> you did offer to carry the big box of books that I was carrying, though. Right, right. Which I was very grateful for because I was wearing some serious heels. <laughs> I should have paid more attention to you that physically. I should have objectified you because I don't have that memory of you in heels yet. Oh, really? I looked great. You're I'm, just going to have to believe me. I do believe you. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really, yeah, that wasn't, that was more of a statement. Um, okay, so this book falls into three main sections. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about the organization of this book? Um, why sure. why three sections? What what made you say this belongs here, this belongs there? Yeah. I guess you can also give me uh, insight into um, how that normally happens with other poetry books as well. Oh, interesting. Well, I think that it's probably different for everybody um, as far as how that gets formulated. Um, I mean, constructing a poetry book is is a lot like... <sighs> like a long distance swimming. Hmm. <laughs> like for for a while, you're just sort of like have your eyes closed and you're just swimming through the water, the language, the words, you're creating something. And then you you come back up and you see how far you are to that thing, mm-hmm. uh, that buoy or whatever it is you're swimming out to. Or the French right? coast. Right. Um, or, you know, it, or it's the difference between like a, 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 a microscopic view and a macro view of, mm-hmm. of something, right? Um, you just sort of like getting lost in the language of things. And then you have all these poems and you're like, well, <laughs> hopefully they they run along the same theme. Mm-hmm. With this particular book, I did get hooked up into um, a theme pretty early on. Um, and I was writing these poems um, because I came across this bizarre text, uh, A Modern Herbal by Mrs. M. Grieve. When you say herbal, like herbal medicine? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was published in 1931. And it's this bizarre book of like, it goes by herbs and fruit and various spices. And she gives the kind of um, homemade remedies to various ailments, Mm -hmm. um, uses for the plant and its various parts, and also um, myths associated with the plant. So how the stem of the dandelion can cure lockjaw and tetanus. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Things like that. Mm -hmm. Very useful. Um, Anyways, I was just obsessed with this text and I started writing all of these fruit poems. 
Um, oh, okay. And so, well, uh, I had a question about fruit poems, but go ahead. <laughs> so the the middle section has a bunch of fruit poems in them that that uh, you know are mostly by uh, poems that were inspired by modern. Or it goes back and forth between fruit poems and uh, these lost letters, uh, which is a series of letters um, written from the perspective of a woman in a relationship, um, and the relationship has bad timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the two people are in love with one another, but not at the same time. That's, from what I know of your personal life, true. <laughs> prior to me. Prior, prior to Max. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all of the poems, the, the, the lost letters are all for one specific person. That's the, uh, what, the what I want you dangerously comes from that, doesn't it? No. That's no. actually a different person. Really? Yes. Hussy. How many men does <laughs> Or people, I should say. How many people do you write yeah, to? I was going to this... say, these aren't all for men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> not many, um, but the, that particular series is for is for one, okay. one person. So it, it's sort of playing with... Would you want to give this person a shout out? <laughs> I think this person doesn't like me, oh, so probably okay. not. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Partly, it's I, I grouped them by whatever obsession I had at that particular so time. So fruit, letters. Fruit and letters is is the middle one. Okay. That, so that that seemed obvious, mm-hmm. right? It just went back and forth between those two, and I was like, well, that's a, that seems nice. <laughs> it's nicely nicely solidified. Um, the, the first section and the third section uh, were more difficult to figure out mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the ordering of it. Um, it began um, that, with that first poem, interrogation which is a series of questions mm-hmm. so that seemed right to me to begin a poem begin a book uh with a point of inquiry mm-hmm. and have it move on um and but there are a lot of poems in this first section that cover um adolescence and early life mm-hmm. and in the third section there's a sort of older perspective happening um and so uh there is a kind of a loose chronology happening in the poem i don't think that anybody would be able to follow because you know many of the poems in here are fictional mm-hmm. um and they're not autobiographically you know associated with me necessarily although i'd say they all have a certain amount of, of emotional truth in them mm-hmm. um and uh so yeah they they tend to go uh t- from a younger perspective through to a an older perspective yeah um okay there's a lot of uh, f- we already mentioned fruit um, right. But there's a lot of fruit going on, this motif, figs, yeah. lemon, papaya, plum. Can you... Why? Is, yeah. I was, were you, uh, was, it a, was it a citrus deficiency? What, what drove this? Um, no, originally, actually, I, ha- I originally I titled the, the book Dangerous Fruit. Wow. That's uh, not a winning title. <laughs> yeah, too many people made fun of me for it. I would tell my friends, they'd be like, in your second collection could be dangerous vegetables and your third could be expired dairy products. And uh, I just, I was like, okay, fine, I'll let it go. There were too many things, too many poems, uh, poetry books out that year too that, that started with the word dangerous. I would have, you know what though? I would have picked up a book had you named it Melancholy Meats. <laughs> That wouldn't have fit at all. <laughs> okay, but there's there's something going on here besides just my obsession with uh, the modern herbal by Mrs. Mm-hmm. M. Greaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that she goes by Mrs. <laughs> something. I find that really ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, but uh, but there's something beyond that, which is that um, I was kind of obsessed with uh, Western myth um, in the figures of women in those mm-hmm. Western myth and the way that they were always associated with fruit. And destruction. And destruction, yes. Dangerous fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was that was originally the idea that there was always some woman who was like 
picking up a fruit or stealing a fruit or taking a bite out of fruit and causing the death of her mother or herself or all of mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was happening over and over. And so I, I started to think of the fruit as sort of symbolic of women anyways, this sort of luscious ripeness that must be consumed in some way in order for some someone else to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I I was thinking of the fruit in terms of its psychosexual connotations. And from women in myth- Western mythology and fruit, uh, we come to other things that are in mm-hmm. here as well. Mm-hmm. Historical mythical figures of like Joan of Arc, Lilith, even in Pandora who go hand in hand, um, Gertrude Stein. You also have a couple of poems about your sisters and your mother. Yes. Yeah. Is it just a man thing to start pointing out that you have a lot of women or women <laughs> motifs in this? Or <laughs> no, I mean, I have a very strong uh, feminine and feminist perspective on all of uh, these figures. That's right? hot. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I wanted to create a collection that was very much in the vein of that perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to, I don't think I have a single poem here that's written from the perspective of a man. I don't think that I do. Not in this, not in this book. Really? I just assumed the, inter, uh, the, um, the, uh, the first one was. Interrogation? Uh, I guess because interrogation sounds so brutal and harsh, I assume it's. Oh, yeah. It, that's actually the self interrogating the self. Oh, okay. I'm thinking like from post, the perspective post of a woman. 9-11, how we got enhanced oh, interrogation right. techniques. I just automatically, that's, oh. I think uh, it has might, a masculine connotation to it. You might be you might be confusing it actually from a poem from my second collection, which is the interrogator's love letter. Oh, that's it. Yes, that's is, exactly what I've done. Which is from the perspective of a man. And we'll be getting into that in the next installment. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so there, I, I do have a lot of uh, mythical figures uh, that I'm either speaking to or speaking in the voice of mm-hmm. um, women who I, I think needed um, more time uh, and, and or thinking of them in a more psychologically complex way uh, than they usually get thought of. Um, but also there are a lot of uh, poems in here that are spoken from the perspective of contemporary women um, and about contemporary women, some of them um actually my own family. I do have one for my mother and um, my sisters. I, I, I only say sister mm-hmm. in any of the poems. So my sisters like to uh, quibble about who? who who I'm talking about and, and or they like to correct me. They're like, we did that, but we didn't do this. And I'm like, I've conflated both of you. Artistic license. <laughs> Artistic license. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I have several poems in here that are uh, about sort of sisterhood in mm-hmm. some way. And I, I guess I like to think of um, my own my own understanding of myself as a woman as being in uh, conversation with uh, allegiance with and and sometimes uh, forcefully rebellious of some of these um, ancient myths that figure uh, women prominently mm-hmm. well the people have tuned in to hear you so let's wrap this up and begin right with well the very first one let's go right into an interrogation <laughs> Okay, let's. Interrogation. How did you get here in the wet garden on your bloody knees? And where is your mother's brown dress smelling of nickels and butter? Why is your father yelling from his bedroom window and what of the gun? Why can't you untangle your ankles from the cucumber vine? 
How does it feel to press your small, hot cheek to their leaves? Can you hear the evening sprinklers start up like gossip over the dry lawns? Soon, the whole world will be shining with lies. Doesn't that make it easier? Can you feel the tall pines leaning away, closing the clouds like white curtains? And the neighbors, where is the old woman who always keeps one yellow eye on her nectarine tree? Why do you dream of finding the corpses? Why do your father's eyes fill up with blackness, and what of the gun? Why do you press your hand to your chest when he aims? Don't you know it won't keep him from shooting? And where is your mother's brown dress? Can it hear you crying? Why won't it come home? When his bullets pierce the tree instead of your body, can you sense your face going suddenly calm as the scent of the neighbor's lilac drifts toward your pulse in the garden and hangs itself over your head as if it had prayed for you all of its life and finally, finally found you? How do you know, without the words to say it, that you are the summation of a lifetime of desire. And when you know, do the stars emerge from blackness or arrive like shots in the sky? I want you dangerously open, but I am a woman, so cannot open you the way I would if at the hinge of your spine, the tight latch of your knees. I had a key or hammer. I mean no violence, just as good men never mean violence, but still I tremor, tremor. Your mouth a ruin, your eyes like the dark ascending wings of a bird. I watch magpies destroy the nests of sparrows pillage, plunder. If I were a Viking, I'd take you home, my only and best prize. I'd marry you to my bone. Oh, tell me you want my burnt sage, saltwater scent, my barricade across the roads of your body, or tell me to leave you the fuck alone and I'll go further inland like a lenient hurricane, all of your beautiful levees intact. First Wife As I was leaving, he called me Lilith, his first act of erasure. My name reduced to a lotus, a part he went to when he tired of coupling with beasts. He wanted me to lie there beneath him, smother in the smell of wool oil and sweat his tongue, a hard slug crawling over me. Yes, I left. And when a woman leaves, she becomes a scandal. His son said, I coupled with Satan, bore him a hundred new demons a day, said I flew around at night looking for newborns to strangle in their sleep. The people hammered amulets above the beds of pregnant women 
to warn me away. Still, mine was a slow attrition into Apocrypha. After they smoked my eyes, they sealed my dark hair in an urn. They buried the well of my throat, left my nipples to dry like figs in the desert. The long columns of my legs were eroded by rumor. Only my dark aria sang through. For centuries, celebrants slept with one hand on their crotch, one hand on a crucifix afraid I might conjure a sweet dream. Finally, they took me out of the story. Perhaps you think I'm exaggerating, but consider that poor, docile girl pulled from Adam's own rib to replace me. She tried to leap, too. You've heard what they say about her. When Pandora opened her box, she found an empty box. The moon, just a sharp hook of light above her, lacuna in the flesh of the sky. Sometimes the idea of the thing is more dangerous than the thing itself. And after, of course, the gods had someone to blame. Lost Letter 5 It's too late. Voices rising through the vents awoke us from the dream we were having of each other. I'm a child, and you snap off an aloe leaf to soothe the scrape on my knee. You are also a child and hide under the table, but can't articulate why. I want to give you a reason or a quiver of feathers or an apple because you look hungry. Earlier, we were late, but now it's June and the rain assuages the sky. Snowmelt rises into clouds. Here, take my rib to form yourself. Here, take this ball of clay, this kiln. Knead my body into a different shape. Press it into your body. Throw us into the fire just to see what happens next. Or, never mind, go back to sleep. Let the smoke of us drift out of sight. It still gets dark so early. Soon, I'll put down my pen. Burn this letter for light. Lovely. My sister accuses me of leaving and staying gone. Her face has grown dim as she waits for a reason. Musk and winter darkness cling to the heavy curtains hanging from her windows, crowding out the deep green of camellia leaves, their thin tips scratching her window, and beyond them, traffic blooming smoke in rain, thistleweed and wild grass growing in the busted body of the pavement, no longer a smooth gray bone the way it must have been when it was poured down a decade ago. I don't know, is all I can say. I know fog stands in the hills of the park down the street, and on the other side of the park, a reservoir, and on the other side of the reservoir, 
an avenue of warm light and chatter, scones and fried pork, rain beating up on the surface of umbrellas, buses, airplanes breaking through stratused blue sky. Above, there are people nodding and smiling through compact windows, looking down at rain clouds, lightning, whole swaths of sky suddenly radiant as pearls, as the meat of the apples we ate in the summers of our childhood. 